Hello and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast for the week of September 14th. I'm Melissa Davlin. For the past several days, the air quality in Idaho has been deemed seriously unhealthy, unhealthy, or unhealthy for sensitive groups across the state. The EPA issued hazardous air warnings for some areas, and some Idaho high schools have canceled outdoor sporting events due to poor air quality. Today, Mike Toole of the Idaho Department of Environmental Quality joins me to discuss the Air Quality Index. Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi. How are you doing? I'm great, except for the lousy air quality. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> seems to be the theme this time of year. Yeah, yes, it's kind of lousy. Can you give me a rundown of what exactly the Air Quality Index measures? So the Air Quality Index is a color-coded chart, and the intent of it is to be a tool for mainly public information as it pertains to air quality. So what it does is we have, and across the state, there are specific air quality monitors that monitor specific pollutants at a specific level. For instance, PM is micrograms. What it does, the scale, is it converts those micrograms to an easy to read scale that's color coded and has basic range of numbers. So people can one, be informed on air quality, where we're at, where we're headed, and so they can make educated decisions on their outdoor activities and to try to re reduce their exposure with that smoke. Obviously this time of year wildfire smoke is a factor, but what else contributes to poor air quality? So here in the valley, obviously we have two what we call event seasons, one being wildfire, which most people who've been here are very familiar with. Uh, typically July to the end of September, although we have seen kind of a shift lately. We're getting hit now in September and could go, you know, through October. Burn season's going a little longer with drier conditions. Uh, the other main one would be inversion season, which is typically around Thanksgiving. It's been a little earlier the past couple of years to about Valentine's Day. So that period we can be hit with wintertime inversions, which again, people are familiar with when it, you know, things get locked in the valley and we have that cap and you go above to bogus and you can see that cap. So those are the two main. Uh, the others are just gonna be what's common pretty much everywhere else. There's, there's burning activities, there's industrial activities, a large one for us is vehicles and vehicles mild traveled. And then you're just gonna have the other ones, you know, dust, construction dust, agriculture activities, and just kind of random small ones that are pretty common. Uh, none of them super large sources, but they can build up and contribute to air pollution here in the valley. Historically, how often have we seen unhealthy air quality days? In other words, is the problem getting worse? That, that's a great question. So. Unhealthy when we hit that red is kind of like that really catches people's attention. And over the past decade, with wildfire smoke specifically, we have had a number of those days. I would say there's still a very low percentage of the days we have. Again, we've had the past couple, for, for an example, right now, we've had the past couple days forecasted in the red, but we actually only had one for the Treasure Valley that actually reached the red for real-time numbers. So that's our kind of one for right now. On average, looking back over the 10 years, we probably average one to three due to wildfires, and occasionally we will have one up there for inversions, but it's actually fairly rare to hit the red around here overall when you look at how many days we look at air quality. Orange is becoming more common, especially during the event periods of inversions and wildfires. To say that it's getting worse is difficult. I think the trend over the past 10 years, we've seen an increase in issues with air pollution, and we have seen more days in the moderate, which is the yellow and the orange, which is the unhealthy for sensitive groups. I don't think that swing 
to these more polluted days has been a big change. I don't expect that we'll see more and more red days, but I think it is unfortunately coming a little more common with everything kind of going on that we are gonna see a higher percentage of yellow days and maybe a little bit more of the orange days as we move forward. You're talking specifically here in the Treasure Valley. We have listeners across sure. the state. I know that in North Idaho and, and the North Central region around Lewiston and Moscow, it, they've had some pretty bad uh, events, mm -hmm. air quality events over the last few years. Is it getting worse there? Again, it's hard to say that it's getting worse. I think what we've seen over the past couple of years by looking at the data is they have been hit more substantially by these wildfires. They have experienced more days in even the purple, which is the hazardous level, and, or the very unsensitive, I apologize for that. And in the red, over the past few days, they've been solid red during this event. I think there are several factors to that with central and northern Idaho, those being the location of the wildfires. You know, they have a different kind of geography than southern Idaho. So southern and northern Idaho are a little different in what they have. You know, much more uh, timber, higher elevation. You know, there's a lot you could go to. So I think what's happened over the past couple of years is they've just been really in the band of smoke from these wildfires. The, and not just in Idaho. Not just in These Idaho, These are fires no. from all the way from Canada it's down to California. Regional. We see wildfire smoke from Alaska, from Canada, uh, Washington, Oregon, California, Montana, I mean, Utah. The whole region is impacting us. And we're so weather dependent in the state on which way the smoke goes. And I think the central and northern areas have just, it's been unfortunate, but they've just been in the direct line of a lot of these wildfire impacts. And they have seen much higher levels on average than Southern Idaho has, yes. So when we see that unhealthy indicator, that mm -hmm. let, let's start with red. Mm -hmm. If it's a red air quality day, how concerned should I be? Should I not commute on a bike to work? Is, is it too hazardous to do that kind of aerobic activity? Yeah, so it's, when it comes to the impacts of wildfire or inversions or air pollution in general, it's a very personal thing. Each person can be very different. For instance, you could have somebody who is in a sensitive population, which is children, elderly, or somebody with a pre-existing health condition, whether it be respiratory or cardiovascular, something of that nature, where when it gets into the low yellow, they, they feel those impacts. They have trouble breathing or start seeing things like that. Then again, you may have somebody who, when they get in the red category, it doesn't affect them at all. They don't see any impacts, they don't feel any water eyes, running nose, nothing. So it's a very individual thing on how people, it, it impacts them. So, but what this scale does is it takes the, the AQI basically says, here's the air quality. It's in the red, for instance, like you brought up. That should be, I believe, a red flag to everybody to say, hey, we've deteriorated significantly in air quality. Now, it may not impact you, it may impact you, but you should be aware we are in the unhealthy category. It's at levels where it will most likely impact everybody to some degree, especially those sensitive populations. We really want to get that message out there to you know, limit your exposure as much as possible because it, it's just not in a good place outside. But it is also at that red level, just kind of telling everybody, it may not impact you directly. You may not feel it when you're out there, but the levels are high enough to where you're really going to be breathing that smoke in and you it's just really recommended that you avoid that exposure just to you know, keep your health where you want it. 
We've talked a lot about the individual impacts, uh, especially on health, but what about the impacts on Idaho as a whole, whether we're talking agriculture or industry or the environment? Sure. So it, it can impact things on uh, various levels. So obviously we know the health impacts. That's the big one and that's the one we push. Uh, environmental, there are studies out there. Again, these are third-party studies not done by DEQ, but the impact on vegetation and agricultural crops and even livestock or animals. Uh, there's a lot of studies that show the thicker the smoke and the longer the smoke, it can have detrimental impacts on those areas. Some of the other things obviously here in Idaho is just simply the aesthetic view or, you know, tourism. You know, we get phone calls a lot of time. People want to come to Idaho and they call and say, how bad's the smoke right now? And they make their determination on whether they want to visit Idaho and come spend some time here based on how the smoke is or an inversion or air quality in general. So we get a lot of those, so it can affect those levels. The other thing too is when we start seeing those higher levels in air pollution, it can start to affect people on a day-to-day -day basis on small things such as, you know, basically changing their behavior, but also things like outdoor burning. Outdoor burning for whether it be a backyard barbecue or going camping, it can be restricted. So there are no open burning, there's no open burning, there's no fire. So that could dampen somebody's, you know, weekend for trying to be outside or going camping or going to an area where maybe the smoke impacts aren't as bad, but there is a burn ban in place so they can't have a fire or something like that. So there are some different levels other than direct impa uh, health impacts that when we have, for instance, wildfire smoke or even wintertime inversion levels that are high, that can impact very different, uh, multiple things. Do limitations on burning just affect small fires like campfires and barbecues or are there bigger effects? So when there are burn restrictions in place, it's more of a widespread effect. And those burn restrictions can be at the local level, whether it be Cedar County, it can be from a state regulatory agency such as Forest Service, IDL, BLM, DEQ. And what they prohibit oftentimes will be those backyard burners, whether you're burning some yard waste or having small cooking fire in your backyard and open fire. It shuts down crop residue burning, which is a program that we work with the growers to burn agricultural waste so they can keep going on their crops. It can prohibit all outdoor burning essentially in an area, and that includes any type of open flame. So that goes from the small campfire all up to prescribed burn that they may be doing on the 100, 200,000 acre level. So it, essentially those can shut down everything. And it's funny that you say that because prescribed burns are supposed to help prevent fires from getting out of control in the first place. It is a tool that the land management agencies do use. Now, typically during the middle of the summer, they are not doing prescribed burns simply from the fire safety issue. Um, but, you know, there could be an instance where there is a planned burn that needs to be canceled for that. Now, again, that one is probably a very low percentage. It's going to be more the recreational, the crop residue, or any residential burning that that's going to impact. But technically when those burn bans are in place, it shuts down all open burning. You touched on this a little bit before, but we, we talk a lot about the effects of rising global temperatures and drought on the environment, but do we yet know the long-term implications for the environment of so much smoke? 
I, I don't know that we do. It's interesting, over the past decade or so, we have seen wildfires become more of just a constant, a norm here in the, around the state of Idaho and just in our region. And from that, I think what we're seeing is more of an interest in how those impacts are playing out. And I think we see that in some of these uh, university studies where they're looking at the impacts of smoke, not only on people, but on animals or vegetation or you know other things that may be impacted by that. And they're really taking the time to look and see, okay, how do these smoke impacts, you know, what do they do? So I think that's the biggest thing that we're seeing. I, I don't think we yet know on a finite level how these impacts really play out. Um, obviously we know a lot about the health impacts and that's number one for us at DEQ is how is this impacting people? and the environment, obviously. But, you know, public health is a huge concern for us. But I think the these other entities with the resources and the ability to look into these other specifics is only going to keep moving forward and give us more information as things play out. So we can say during a wildfire event or even during an inversion event or any air quality event, maybe, maybe it's a fugitive dust haboob, which we had years ago, a huge dust storm that comes through. How do these really impact these? And what steps can we take to mitigate the impacts on people, the environment, animals, and that type of nature? So I think moving forward, as that information comes in, it'll help us just uh, have more details on really what's going on with all these pollutants. How much does DEQ interface with the public health agencies to track uh, respiratory issues that are connected to smoke? So when it comes to specific health effects, from air pollution, we are more or less at a 70,000 foot level. We work with the health departments and the health districts closely, especially during these events. We communicate, we share information, uh, our messaging, how we want to approach it, and any information we can provide to them as far as you know, duration, impact, that type of thing. But when it comes to specific health events, or health impacts, excuse me, we leave that to the the medical professionals and, and the health districts because that's what they specialize in. So again, we're kind of at that high level. We have a general knowledge of that, but we don't really get into the details and specific statistics, for instance, of uh, emergency room visits, um, respiratory impacts such as you know COPD, asthma flare-ups, anything like that. We we aren't generally associated or involved with. Is there anything the average citizen can do to help mitigate the worsening air quality? I think there are a lot of things people can do, and they may seem small in, in nature, but I think as you more people do the small things, they build up. And a lot of those that we recommend, especially during these types of air pollution events, are, you know, number one, just if you can reduce your exposure, reduce your exposure, and that may mean you don't uh, take a trip in your vehicle. If you have to take a trip in your vehicle, carpool, use public transit. Obviously, riding a bike during one of these is probably not a good idea. Other things people can do is if you are going to burn, postpone or cancel that burn. Although a small campfire may seem like just a small campfire, it again is, it is adding to the pollution. Uh, other things people can do is obviously we promote working with our local community on what they can do. Uh, we've had programs where it's a non-idle program for school buses at school zones. Again, every little thing helps. And just anything that you can do to maybe just kind of mitigate anything you're putting in the air. And uh, sometimes that may be changing out your wood stove. So during the winter, you have an older wood stove, you 
change that out to a newer efficient uh, wood stove so you're really not putting a whole bunch of stuff into the air. So just small things that people can do to help out, small behavioral changes, but I think they do add up over time and do make a difference. Let's go back up to that 70,000 foot okay. view. <laughs> when it comes to public policy, what is mm -hmm. DEQ looking at to help air quality situations? So again, we work closely with the legislature and our elected officials. And our two primary concerns, obviously, are environment, because we are an environmental agency, but public health. And we try to work across the spectrum with that, whether that be the public citizen industry or any other agency or entity with that. We are focused primarily on monitoring and providing that information to people, being as accurate and reliable with that monitoring as possible and doing what we can to make that easily attainable by especially the public, whether it be through a website or press releases, anything like that. Moving forward, we do look at burning. Uh, that's a big part of our program. We do look at the residential burning, crop residue burning. We work with the public uh, land management agencies on their burning program. So burning is another big one. Uh, some of the other ones, obviously people know about the emissions testing program. Uh, there is currently one in Aiden Canyon County, and that is directed at air quality prevention and improvements. So there are those programs. Uh, we do uh, another primary role of ours is inspections of the facilities here. We make sure that if they have an air quality permit, they're following that permit and within their uh, standards for that industry. Uh, so those would be four kind of major topics. Moving forward, we're continually modeling and analyzing the air quality throughout the state of Idaho to see what impacts are there? Are they changing? Do we need to shift our focus from one to another? We do emissions inventories to say, okay, what are the real contributors to the pollution? And then we also do, we do take a look at our rules that are provided to us on those uh, issues such as open burning and, and those, and we see, okay, do we need to make changes to those? One of the other big things that we do policy-wise is we have primacy for the air quality program in Idaho through the EPA, from the Clean Air Act. And there are periodic reviews and possible revisions to air quality standards, the National Ambient Air Quality Standards. And right now, our primary concern in the valley and throughout the state are particulate matter and ozone, ground level ozone formation. And as those are reviewed and possibly revised, whether that be lowered, raised, or stay the same, we also look at our rules and our, our protocols and our policies to see is what we're doing and how we're approaching this in the best interest of the public and the environment based on these health-based standards that are given to us by the federal government. So we always try to make sure what we're doing isn't aligned with what the intent of the AQI or the Clean Air Act is here in the state. You mentioned emissions testing mm -hmm. in Ada and Canyon counties. From a legislative level, are you expecting any changes to those programs over the next couple years? So there are currently uh, programs within Canyon County and Ada County, and those are, the oversight on those is a little different one to the other. So currently DEQ works with the third party company to supply the emissions testing program in Canyon County. And that is based on state rule. And there have been discussions downtown to repeal that rule so that would make that there possibly could be no emissions testing program in Canyon County. Looking forward, that seems to be like what the case will be. So it is anticipated that after the next legislative session in 2022-2023, that that House bill may be repealed, which would no longer require the Canyon County emissions testing program. 
The other side to that is that the Ada Canyon, the Ada County Emissions Testing Program is based on non-attainment status from about 30 years ago for the state of Idaho for carbon monoxide. Basically meaning that, that the state of Idaho was not meeting those federal goals. That's correct. We, we violated the standard for carbon monoxide in, I don't remember a specific date, but late 80s. So in order to address that type of violation, you enter into an agreement with the EPA through the Clean Air Act. It's called the State Implementation uh, a SIP. I apologize. And so part of that was a control measure would be a emissions testing program in Northern Ada County. And so that's been in place for 30 plus years. So that is also regulated through local ordinance through the city and the counties. So I do not know if the Canyon County program is repealed and there's no longer a requirement for that program in Canyon County. It, I am unsure as to yet on what 80 County, Northern 80 County would do. That SIP does sunset here in the next year or so, which means we have met the obligations of that, of those requirements. But as to if that's, the 80 County program will still be in place or not in place, I, I don't know the answer to that. We will continue to keep an eye on that. Mike Toll, Idaho Department of Environmental Quality, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And thank you for listening. The new season of Idaho Reports starts October 7th. You'll be able to watch Fridays at 8 p.m. on Idaho Public Television or online after it airs at idahoptv.org. In the meantime, you can find all of our online content and subscribe to our weekly newsletter at idahoptv.org slash idahoreports. And watch for the Idaho Debates general election schedule coming out in the next week. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Marcia Franklin, the producer and host of Dialogue. For more than 25 years, we've been bringing you conversations that matter. More than 150 of those conversations are with writers, and now you can take them with you wherever you go, while you're walking, around the house, or in the car. Just search for Dialogue with Marsha Franklin on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms, and remember to subscribe so that new shows download automatically. Enjoy.